I'm Bill Castle, and this is Free Expression. This program is all about conveying the Christian message from a Catholic point of view and defending the liberty which makes it possible to do that. We talk with creative, interesting people about infusing technical education with faith and preserving our cultural heritage. Join us, sit back, and enjoy some free expression. shortage of crises these days. We see a tottering economy, growing danger of war, collapse of our borders, not to mention loss of faith in the electoral system. Perhaps most disturbing, though, so many young people seem to lack any understanding or appreciation for the marvelous gifts of our Judeo-Christian cultural heritage. Hey, forget about ancient Athens or Jerusalem. Kids today are barely aware that any art existed before TikTok or hip-hop. That's a real threat to the survival of our culture. Mark Evans is a writer and music scholar who has made it his personal mission to preserve and promote our unique artistic traditions through a movement he calls cultural conservation. He's been with us before to discuss the books he's written in service to that cause, and he's here once more. Mark, good to talk to you again. It's a pleasure to talk to you, Bill, as always. Well, you have a couple of books that you're promoting now. Uh, What are these offerings with which you're hoping to spark our cultural awareness? Well, yes, there are two of my books in particular. I've written a number of books on a variety of subjects many of them musical because I am a composer and pianist professionally. But in addition to that, I've been involved for a number of years in broadcasting and in writing books. And two of my books have just come out in brand new editions. They both have long titles. One is called Mark My Words, How to Discover the Joy of Music, the Delight of Language, and the Pride of Achievement in the Age of Trash Talk and Cultural Chaos. And the other one is Our Musical Heritage. And that one is subtitled From Yankee Doodle to Carnegie Hall, Broadway, and the Hollywood Soundstage. The Mark My Words book is essentially a kind of a manifesto. I had become troubled by the fact that students were coming out of school completely unfamiliar with any music other than what they might have discovered on social media. Many had not read a book that hadn't been assigned to them, and many others didn't know even the basic facts of American history. And this cultural crisis has been exacerbated by the decline of language and our vanishing history. So I wrote the Mark My Words book essentially to explain how this had happened, where we are now, and, of course, what we could do about it. And there are several principles of cultural conservation that I identify. And one of them, of course, is the classic principle of being able to light candles and not cursing the darkness. But I remember lighting candles begins at home with your own family. So I decided to light a couple of candles of my own with our musical heritage. And that's my guided tour through four very important genres of American music. Concert music, jazz, musical theater, and film music. So those are the two books. They're very different, but they're really essential for any parent or grandparent that's concerned about what's taking place in the current cultural crisis. 
It does seem that with the onset of social media and the Internet in general, what was hoped to be a great avenue of information and education seems to have had a very perverse effect. Kids seem to have given up on everything that can't fit into their little phone screen. Yes, that's very true. And one of the points that I try to make whenever I'm talking about cultural conservation is that we have to look at the past, the present, and the future. When I sign off on my television program, Mark My Words, I always say we should preserve the best of the past, which shouldn't be forgotten, the best of the present, which shouldn't be ignored, and the best of the future, which shouldn't be undiscovered. And there are a number of principles that I think are very important when we look at what's going on today. One of them is that change is not synonymous with progress. The second is that celebrity and notoriety are not synonymous with quality. The third is technology is not synonymous with wisdom. And there's a serious threat posed to our society by what is called cultural amnesia. That's a term coined by a Canadian professor called Stephen Berkman. And basically, it suggests that we have forgotten our own history. With all this going on, the media will impose celebrity on those who are famous, not accomplished, and won't tell you about the best of our culture. And I believe we must devote the same care and attention to preserving our cultural resources that we do to our natural resources. There's always been a lot of hope that the schools can somehow take up the slack, and a lot of money has been thrown at the educational establishment in that hope. But it doesn't seem like they're having very much effect. And in fact, they may be having a negative effect. Why do you think this is happening? Well, when we look at the problems we have today, we tend to look for a solution in three places. We look to academia, we look to the government, and we look to the entertainment industry. Unfortunately, professors, politicians, and producers are usually typically part of the problem, not part of the solution. Mm. When I first wrote the Mark My Words book a couple of years ago, I talked about some of the frivolous and outlandish courses that were being offered in schools and particularly in colleges and universities. I think one of my favorites was a course at Northwestern University in which students were given the assignment to analyze episodes of the TV series Baywatch. It's still going on. Uh, even today, the day that we're recording this interview, it was just announced that Harvard, the University of California at Berkeley, and the University of Florida are all going to be offered college courses, and these are courses for credit which will study the life and work and contributions of Taylor Swift. <laughs> so those kinds of courses made many of the academic institutions very much of a laughing stock. But in recent years, we've seen something far more sinister in some something far more serious, uh, the universities have really become indoctrination centers. Mm. And there's really an all-out ideological assault on all the best of our culture. And it applies not only to history or the, to politics, but it applies to music, to art, to literature. And there's a, a movement on now to try to eliminate all the best elements of our culture and to replace it with, with things that are really just and fashionable. Yeah, it's almost like the American version of the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Everything old is being swept away. Yes, indeed. And in fact, 
fact, I've quoted some writers in the Mark My Words book who actually are Chinese and who lived through the Cultural Revolution, and they do see many, many parallels. I think one of the reasons that this is so appealing to people is that they mistakenly assume that change and progress are the same thing. And I, I, one of my favorite quotations came from the, the scholar Russell Kirk, who said, change may not be salutary reform. Hasty innovation may be a devouring conflagration rather than the torture progress. In other words, you may think you're lighting the torture progress, but you're actually setting everything on fire. And this is a very, very serious problem, and it's a, it's a serious challenge. I like to go back and look at what happened, and I ask the questions, Whatever happened to books, whatever happened to art, whatever happened to music. And if we look back, we can determine very quickly that this started many, many years ago, but it's gotten progressively worse. Today, we're really living in what I call a celebrity culture, in which we value people just for being important or recognized. You know, when our society becomes collectively obsessed with the wrong people and the wrong things, we completely lose our capacity to even recognize real achievement. Well, where do we go from here, other than the obvious uh, solution of buying your books? <laughs> what can we do? How can we imbue young people with an awareness uh, of, of what has gone before, the value of our cultural heritage? Well, I think there's a lot that we can do. It's one of the reasons I wrote the book, Our Musical Heritage, this is something that we can deal with without waiting for anyone else. And while I believe strongly we should do the best that we can to try to reform existing institutions, every parent or grandparent can take action today. That's why I started the nonprofit organization, Cultural Conservation. We have a website, culturalconservation.org. And it's one of the reasons for my writing books like this, uh, to provide a resource for parents and grandparents. I'll give you a good example Ray Bradbury is a name that everyone would recognize. He's widely regarded as the most celebrated writer of science fiction anywhere in the world. When Bradbury was a young man back in the days of the Depression, his family was too poor to send him to college. He wanted an education. So three days a week he would go to the Los Angeles Public Library and spend the day reading his way through the library. He self-educated, in effect. He used to tell people, I never graduated from college, but I graduated from the Los Angeles Public Library. And as a result of that, his books, of course, are now in every library, in every university, and the universities offer many courses about him as well. That's a model for us. You can take steps yourself, and I try to outline those in the, uh, the Mark My Words book, and I also try to provide the resources in our musical heritage. You know, our musical heritage is a really fascinating story. People don't realize, of course, even the origins of many of the songs that we regard as patriotic or historic. Yankee Doodle, for instance, was originally meant as an insult by the British and eventually was adopted by the colonists who were fighting in the war for independence. And uh, the story about the Star Spangled Banner, which people are always trying to replace, uh, is one that's in many places completely forgotten. Most people don't know that a composer signed the Declaration of Independence. He wasn't an important composer. His name was Francis Hopkinson from Pennsylvania. He also was involved in designing the first American flag. 
But he wrote some songs which were said to have been capable of bringing tears to the eyes of his friend Thomas Jefferson, and they were dedicated to his good friend George Washington. And that's not a bad way for a composer to start writing music. <laughs> yes, so indeed. There, there are many fascinating stories about this. For example, um, John Philip Sousa, who wrote Our National March, The Stars and Stripes Forever. Uh, Sousa was coming back from Europe uh, on a ship when he learned of the death of one of his closest friends and mentors. And the tune jumped into his head, and he couldn't get it out of his head. And when he came back to the United States and he was on dry land again, he went immediately to his office and just sat down and wrote what became the most famous march ever. Sousa was a 19th century figure, but he lived into the 20th century, and he was actually around when recorded music started. But he didn't like recorded music very much, and it turns out that there was an effort made to try to introduce him to Thomas Edison to persuade him that recorded music might be a good idea. But uh, Sousa was completely and totally unimpressed, and he actually said that canned music was as incongruous by a campfire as canned salmon by a trout stream. <laughs> well, these are the kinds of fascinating anecdotes that can certainly get young people interested in our cultural heritage. But uh, where can interested parents and grandparents uh, find your books? How can they obtain this information and maybe uh, start making some changes? Well, these books can be ordered at any bookstore. Uh, the bookstores can get them. If they don't have them in stock, they can certainly order them. The books are available on Amazon and Barnes Noble and the usual online places, and they can also check out our website at culturalconservation.org. Our musical heritage is not exclusively about patriotic or historical music. We all, I also like to trace of the development of American concert music and how American composers discovered their own natural style, and began writing concertos and symphonies. Uh, we look into the world of jazz, uh, which, of course, was the great African-American contribution to musical culture, to the development of musical theater under the auspices of people like Irving Berlin, Cole Porter, Richard Rogers, Jerome Kern, the Gershwins, and, of course, finally, my own specialty, motion picture music. And there are a host of very important film composers who wrote significant music in the 20th century. What I have discovered is that when I meet people of almost any age, from very young to quite elderly, and I ask them, how did you discover this wonderful music that you like, music that is ignored by so many other people? The answer is always the same. A parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a brother, a sister, or perhaps a teacher. At some point, in their lives, introduce them to this music. And our musical heritage is here for all of us to discover. You know, Ronald Reagan famously said that freedom was never but one generation from extinction. And I think the same can be said for our musical heritage. So the Mark My Words book will tell you everything about how we got here, past, present, and future, and what we can do together and what you can do individually. The Musical Heritage book called Our Musical Heritage is a book that will provide you with a guided tour of four very important genres of American music, and every child and every uh, grandchild should have an opportunity to be exposed to that music. And if we do this collectively, together, and individually, we can actually turn this cultural crisis around. 
So I'm, uh, I'm not going to sound like a complete optimist about where we're going or a complete pessimist. One of my mentors was a very famous and distinguished humorist, Richard Armour, who wrote over 60 books of humor and light verse. And I asked Dr. Armour, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And he said, well, the optimist always thinks everything will work out all right, but it rarely does. And the pessimist thinks everything will go wrong, and it rarely does. So he said, I like to think of myself as a realist with dreams. And that's the way I like to look at our response to this crisis, and that's what I'm urging everyone to try to do, to join us in a movement of cultural conservation in which we value our cultural resources with the same care and devotion and affection as our natural resources. Mark Evans, an optimist, a pessimist, a guy who has dreams and is working to uh, restore some of our cultural heritage. Thanks for being with us. It's always great to talk to you. Bill, it's always a pleasure to visit with you anytime. seeking a career in science or engineering or some high-tech specialty, a Catholic college wouldn't necessarily suggest itself as the best place to get your education. Yet the work being done in these fields influences our lives in ways that can have vast moral and spiritual implications. Can we really compartmentalize the sciences apart from our religious lives? There's a group of Catholics who say no, and they're launching a new educational facility that seeks to bridge gaps that have often been seen as unbridgeable. That facility is called the Catholic Institute of Technology. One of the key figures in this effort is Bill Hawhey, and he's here to tell us about this unique project. Bill, thanks for being with us. Great. Thank you so much, Bill. This new school is being put together now. When will you be opening? Fall of 2024, we look to have our first class of students on campus in Castel Gandolfo. That's interesting. It's being located in Italy. Yeah, and that's very intentional. We decided specifically on Castel Gandolfo to its proximity to the Vatican Observatory, which is historically the only scientific funding funded directly by the Vatican. They do have brilliant researchers there, brilliant astronomers, and it's a tradition they have that we just want to continue to build on. Not to mention it's lakeside um, <laughs> down the hill from the Pontifical Palace, which is a gorgeous place. Yeah, I've, I've seen the photographs on your website, and they're pretty impressive. There's a, a long history of Catholic scientific leadership, but often people assume that science and faith are in conflict. How are you going to address that perception? It's quite unfortunate because our church really has this rich history of being at the forefront of scientific innovation for centuries. It was the church that developed the scientific method. It was the diocesan priest that coined the term the Big Bang. You know, the first PhD in computer science in the United States was a Catholic nun. I think the institutional academia, only in recent history, has kind of pushed the faithful out. We knew this was necessary, but when we started, like, getting the word out and looking for faculty members, um, we were incredibly blessed with 
tenured professors leaving places like MIT, Stanford, Harvard, because they want, you know, they want to reconcile. Their faith is that important to them that they want to be able to tell everyone, look, the church has never been against science, and our faith is not in contradiction to the scientific truth. So, yeah, we're, we're blessed. <laughs> um, but I, I think we have a long way, road to go, but we have, it's, it's a new institution, but we're rebuilding something old. What particular technical or scientific fields will you be covering? So this first year, we're growing after this pretty exponentially each year. We'll be adding more degrees. But the first year fall in the fall, we'll have five courses. So that's civil engineering, mechanical engineering, electrical and computer science, biomedical engineering, and then biology. And those, the biology and the biomedical engineering are... Uh, designed in such a way to meet uh, pre-med requirements for U.S. medical school. I notice, uh, looking particularly at your list of faculty members, that there's a strong emphasis on ethics. There have been many conflicts uh, and questions raised about the ethics of research that's going on in the sciences, especially the biosciences. I imagine that'll be a major focus. Yeah, so we've been able to really structure some great partnerships with the pontifical universities in Rome, specifically the uh, Regina Apostolorum, has a great bioethics department. Uh, it's the only Catholic bioethics department in, in Italy. We're able to pull from that great resource. But something we discovered very early on is these bioethicists that have been working in Rome, brilliant theologians, priests, uh, religious they travel around the world and talking about the ethical concerns of, say, like cyborgs, right? Um, or um, human consciousness, transcending that, rebuilding our consciousness after, after death. You know, these are serious concerns, conversations the faithful should be part of. They go to these conferences around the world, and they bring up these concerns, and people say, well, what do you know? You're not a biologist. So one of the first things we're, we're working on is getting our faculty members, our STEM faculty, in the same room with theologians that know how to ask about the ethical concerns, but then our faculty can help support those concerns with the science behind it. So it's, it really is an attempt to be a, an asset to the university church. Now, having been involved uh, in higher education myself, I know that there's a fairly long process for gaining full accreditation. Students who begin with you this early in the game, uh, what guarantees can you give them that credits will be transferred, that any degree earned will be recognized? What's the process there? We're going through NETCHE accreditation, which is the New England-based regional accreditation. And this is just the typical process. So, you know, we, we are candidate for accreditation as soon as students arrive on campus. And then we would receive our accreditation as soon as we graduate our first class. So with everything, with a startup, we're, our first class of students is like our founders, right? Get a, they're, they're on the ground floor. And we want them to feel as if they have a role to play in, in making this a success. The only caveat I would say is, you know, accreditation is mostly a financial thing, the financial stability of the university. And we've been truly, truly blessed with support from around the globe to make sure this is a reality. Our campus was pretty costly in itself, but the operational cost of the first four years 
aren't as extensive as, say, they would be here in the U.S. And and because of that support, I we're we're in a pretty good place to host our first class. And I think our students are really gonna really gonna love it. I take it instruction will be in English. Yes, that is correct. Yep, and that's just typical of international universities across the globe now, but especially it's the kind of universal language of uh, science. What sort of facility are you having? Are, are there residence halls, or how, how will they live? How will the students live there? Yeah, so we're, we're going to give them a full American experience uh, in Italy, of course. It'll be similar to what you see on an American campus here. We have a men's dorm and a women's dorm. We can house approximately up to like 400 students. Uh, combined, men, men and women. We have five beautiful chapels. You know, we have frescoes on the ceilings, dining halls, three dining halls, two Olympic-sized swimming pools, a tennis courts, a volleyball courts. We, we brought 70 acres or so, um, and right down the hill from the Pontifical Palace. Uh, so we're a short train ride away from Rome uh, or bus. If I could do it all over again, Bill, I would got I would have gotten college here. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what's your timetable, and how can people obtain more information? Yeah, so catholic.tech is our website. Please check it out. We just launched a brand-new student portal and admissions portal as well. So <clears throat> tell your family and friends. We're looking, uh, we're looking to grow our, our initial class. We did just find out that we had an anonymous donor reach out to us. This was only a couple days ago. Uh, and he is paying for the inaugural classes up to 50% for the inaugural class. And that's to, to include a couple of full scholarships out there as well. Mm. So that was <laughs> a miracle. We were incredibly happy about that. And I think it's going to remove a huge barrier entry for our students. Besides that, you know, we want to get more aggressive with our scholarships. We want to increase our marketing. So send us students, but please consider us. Uh, helping um, support this to not only make it a reality, but make it a, a great asset. To... Well, it sounds like this uh, this offers a unique educational experience. It's very exciting. Uh, Bill Hawhey, the Catholic Institute of Technology, thanks a lot for taking time to tell us about this. Yeah, thank you, Bill, and I really appreciate you having me on. If you've been listening to these shows online but would like to hear them on the radio, tell your local Catholic station. Free Expression with Bill Castle is available for broadcast free of charge. Ask your Catholic station to contact us by email, billcastle at sbcglobal.net. That's B-I-L-L-K-A-S-S-E-L, all one word, billcastle at sbcglobal.net. And don't forget to support your local station. In this time of censorship and so-called cancel culture, Catholic radio is becoming increasingly important as an alternative media source. Our programming is based on the Word of God and the teaching of His Church, and we bring you the factual, truthful information you aren't getting from the mainstream media. Support Catholic radio. Your generosity keeps Catholic outlets on the air, And donations to broadcast ministries can be tax-deductible. Urge your friends and relatives to tune in as well. Be with us next time when we explore other aspects of religious communication and look deeper into the great Christian heritage of free expression. 
Free Expression with Bill Castle is a production of Good Shepherd Catholic Radio and Company Publications, where good books, good music, and good radio are always good company. Dan Curis provided technical assistance. Theme and incidental music are by Dan Adam. The program was produced and directed by Bill Castle. This is Good Shepherd Catholic Radio.